He is more experienced, so he can handle it. Good morning. The Bible is the book that God has used to change billions of lives all around the world and across history. And we've been journeying through every book of the Bible, and we're continuing on in the prophetic writings, now delving into the 12 minor prophets or the, the smaller, shorter writings of the prophets. Uh, you may remember in September, uh, we did a Bible reading survey, and um, when asked, uh, asking you guys, which books of the Bible you understood the least, one of the most common responses was the minor prophets. Whether you listed several different minor prophets or you just said the minor prophets. Uh, so these are 12 shorter prophetic writings. They're not minor as in less important, but just shorter in length. And um, we're going to be diving into the first one, the book of Hosea. So here's the historical context for this book. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and of Jeroboam, son of Je Jehoash, king of Israel. So remember that the, the nation of Israel at this time was divided into two kingdoms, uh, the, the conservatives and the liberals. <laughs> no. Just kidding. Uh, it was a, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, where, where we see prophets from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. And then there's the northern kingdom of Israel, also God calls them Ephraim, uh, and this is where Hosea is preaching to. He's preaching to uh, the, the kingdom of Israel. And they went off a little bit more heretical and worshipped other gods more so than in Judah. And this book uh, is, is just before uh, the, the northern kingdom going into exile. So they, they get snatched up by uh, the kingdom of Assyria, and they go off into exile. But this happens right before that. And Hosea is warning them about this. This is part of God's judgment. And wanting them to come to their senses and come back to God. And as Bastian taught about the book of Daniel, living faithfully based on God's faithfulness, Thank you, Bash. That was awesome. Uh, what about when we feel like we've been so unfaithful time and time again? And we look to Daniel and Shadrach, uh, Meshach and Abednego, and we're like, wow, they were so faithful. But what about when we feel unfaithful? We're going to look at this strange display of God's compassion in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. God has all these commands to like be like faithful to each other, to seek holiness and purity, you know, wisdom about, in, in Proverbs, seeking a, a, a wise wife, 
uh, a woman of great character. Proverbs 31, what happened to that? Go and seek a woman of promiscuity? Promiscuous, the Hebrew word is zanun. It means having or involving many sexual partners. The ESV and KJV translations translate it whoredom. Uh, that's pretty jagged wording for us. And uh, NASB says infidelity. The New English translation translates it prostitution, a woman of prostitution. The NIV interchanges promiscuous, adulterous, and unfaithfulness in, in this same verse. In the modern day, we minimize it. We call it sleeping around which has nothing to do with sleepovers or couch surfing, just to clarify. Or we might call it polyamory. I just have so much love, I want to love so many people. Why just stick to one? I could be faithful to a whole bunch of people. <laughs> Promiscuity. So God tells Hosea, poor Hosea, to marry a prostitute. Can you imagine that? He's a prophet. He wants to be holy. And God tells him to marry a prostitute. This is not prescriptive, as in what God wants all of us to do. It's descriptive of what God was wanting to do in that time with that person to spread a message in that time for those people. Let's just clarify that. <laughs> Pastor told me to be polyamorous or something like that. So, uh, Hosea is told to marry a prostitute, and then, verses 3 to 7, says, So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So this is judgment. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in Jezreel Valley. She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Loruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. Exile. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. Verse 8 continues, and after Gomer had weaned Loruchama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And then the Lord said to him, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. First he's told to marry a prostitute, and then he has to name his kids Jezreel, which means God will sow, sowing judgment, no mercy, and not my people. Christians name their kids meaningful names, and our family did not deviate from that. Isaiah means Yahweh saves. Mabel means lovable. Joy means joy. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I think you got it. Yeah. 
Could you imagine someone going up to Gomer? Hey, what's your daughter's name? Um, no mercy. N no mercy? What, is she going to be like an MMA fighter? So these names are thick with meaning and foretell of God's discipline based on Israel's spiritual promiscuity. But he also promises to have compassion for this promiscuous people. And before we go further, let's just pray and ask God to speak to us, to speak to our hearts. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you love us. You show us your heart in it. You reveal our sin for our good, that we would turn to you. I pray that you would pour out your compassion, your love into our hearts. Remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, with your kindness, would you draw us to repentance, that we would cling to you. Lord, for those who feel like they've turned away again and again, Lord, that they would be able to turn and return to you. Thank you for your compassion. Speak to our hearts, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We seek for faithfulness in others, for faithful friends, for a faithful partner, but we aren't always faithful, are we? We let people down. We let ourselves down. I, I took Bethy out to Havana, a Cuban restaurant on Commercial Drive on Valentine's Day. It's delicious food. I'm not, they didn't pay me to say that. Uh, and we're sitting at this nice casual patio bar facing the street. And there's, you know, the, the, the nice outdoor heating lamps. And we're enjoying this delicious appetizer, like double fried, um, what are they called? Plantains, yeah, so good. And I notice a, a nice couple eating together. And, and then the girl takes a step outside, out of sight of her husband. And as if she had just forgotten him, starts not only to flirt with some other guys outside, um, but she starts throwing herself at them. Um, like nothing subtle, like she's making some major advances. I didn't know what to do. What do you think about that? Like, what if you were the husband? You're just having this nice Valentine's date, and then she goes out. What, and, and what if you found out? Okay, I made up the last part, you know, the, the, the whole couple thing. Havana was great, but that didn't happen with a couple. <laughs> You're like, that's shocking. Can't believe that actually happened. But people actually do things like that. That's a shocking thing. That's not like a, a one-off event. It sounds crazy. It's just that people are more subtle until they're exposed. There was a major scandal 
that happened, uh, I don't know if it was a couple years ago, with an adultery app. Someone's like, let's make an app that helps people to be adulterous. And so people are are using this adultery app and and apparently it leaked out into the internet and all these promiscuous users were exposed. We may look at this with shock or contempt, maybe even disgust. We think, how could they? I can't believe that. And I'm thinking like, oh man, but what if God pointed out that you have been spiritually promiscuous? And God might point that out to you, that you haven't been all that faithful to him. The main point this morning is that God has compassion for the promiscuous people who turn to him. God has compassion for the promiscuous people who turn to him. So first we're going to look at promiscuous people, what's going on there, and then how God has compassion, and then how to receive God's compassion. God has compassion for the promiscuous people who turn to him. Promiscuous people. God speaks of Israel's unfaithfulness as spiritual adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. Hosea chapter 3, 1 to 3 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man. And I will act the same way toward you. Uh, Commentators Uh, have different views of whether he is to find another woman and purchase her, or he's gone back to Gomer, she's wandered off, and she's gone back to prostituting, and he buys her back. And he's saying, you must not be promiscuous. She was prostituting, she was an adulteress, and he's saying, don't be promiscuous, I'll be faithful to you. Uh, and he, he purchases her. But this is to remind Israel of how they turned away from God to other gods, and they loved raisin cakes. Raisin cakes. What's up with raisin cakes? Like, I know that cinnamon buns are often hated by many and maybe seen as like the schemes of the devil or something. (laughs) But like, was this really worth mentioning? What's up with raisin cakes? Like, it makes sense. They turned away to other gods and loved raisin cakes. (laughs) So, word biblical commentary says that by Hosea's time, they were probably routinely associated, these raisin cakes, with cultic worship 
this fitting metaphorical food was a, a religious was was for the religious nymphomaniac who seeks spiritual and material gratification from other gods than Yahweh. So this is just a symbol. These raisin cakes. It, it would have made sense to them to be like, oh, them raisin cakes. Uh, it was a symbol for them, but for us, it doesn't make as much sense. But the question is, what are your raisin cakes? Yesterday at dinner time, we had waffles with blueberries. And I, was, I checked my heart. I was like, God, this is pretty close to raisin cakes. <laughs> Whew. Raisin cakes were a symbol of devotion, an indication of the heart. So how could they leave the living God for raisin cakes? But do we do this sometimes? Do we wander off after the delicacies of the world? And in subtle ways, we forsake God. Do we chase after novel experiences to feel fulfilled and compromise our allegiance to God? What are your raisin cakes? It's kind of funny to say, but... What applies to you? There are many things in this world that are nice and sweet and good things in life, but we can exchange the created for the creator. We worship lesser things instead of God. We need to have our, the order in our hearts. Our loves need to be ordered rightly. But how do God's people end up becoming so promiscuous? Well, firstly, they forgot God. It says again and again that they forgot God. Hosea 2, verse 13 says, And I will punish her for the days of the Baals, to which she burned incense. She put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. That's the problem, is that she forgot God. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. This is a, it's, it's not just, uh, oh, I forgot my times tables, but a willful rejection of God, a lacking of knowing God personally, and living your life as though God doesn't exist. Isn't it true that we tend to forget God in our lives? It's been termed gospel amnesia, and I've used that word many times uh, in the last 10 years in describing this reality that we have, that we forget the reality that God is with us. And we forget the reality that we've been saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have gospel amnesia. Sometimes we forget God's grace and turn to legalism to justify ourselves. Sometimes we forget God's love and seek satisfaction in broken cisterns and superficial fixes. Sometimes we forget God's worthiness and seek to worship created things rather than the creator. Maybe you call yourself a Christian and you do good deeds, but feel dry, stale, and stagnant inside. Sometimes we're just going through the motions. 
and that's not engaging our hearts with God. But we find ourselves just same humdrum, going through the motions. But I felt like God wanted us to remember, don't let religion replace your relationship with your Redeemer. Don't let religion replace your relationship with your Redeemer. Going through the motions, giving up sacrifices is nothing compared to having that heart-to-heart, knowing God. When he talks about knowledge, it's talking about this personal knowledge, knowing God personally. Hosea 4.10 says, They will eat, but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous, but not multiply, for they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. Abandoned, how? Hosea 4, 1 to 3 says, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. These are the tangible, visible ways in which God's people abandoned God. It looks like lying, hating, stealing, and adultery. That same chapter 4, verse 12 to 13 says, My people consult their wooden idols and their divining rods inform them. For a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. They act promiscuously in disobedience to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops. They burn offerings on the hills and under oaks, poplars and terebinths, because their shade is pleasant. And so your daughters act promiscuously, and your daughters-in-law commit adultery. Our modern world would say they're just trying out different spiritualities. Doesn't this challenge the way that our Western progressive world thinks about world religions? Our pluralistic society says these are all equally valid ways of coming to the same higher power. It's just surface level differences, you know? All roads lead to Rome. But God is saying to Hosea, to Israel, and to us, that seeking other religious ways is not a better way of coming to God, as though we're getting more pieces of the puzzle from other religions. On the contrary, having a smorgasbord spirituality is no different than having a smorgasbord of sexual lovers. God is no, not indifferent toward our spiritual searching into other religions. It brings deep pain into his heart to see us wander away, to abandon him in spiritual promiscuity. Now, it, it's okay to study world religions, to have compassion for the people, to connect 
to be able to have interfaith dialogue and that they might find Christ who is calling out to them. That we could have respect for the people. But to, to say, I'm going to adopt a whole bunch of these spiritual practices and maybe kind of like back in, in the times of uh, the early church where they had all these statues of different gods and, and then the unknown god just to cover all the bases. You know, I'm just going to worship all of them just to make sure I've, I, I haven't missed anyone. In God's eyes, that's no better than the husband who's looking through a dating app, searching out options other than his wife. On the other hand, in purely non-religious ways, if you care more about your garden than the creator who makes the flowers bloom, or if you binge-watch Netflix but don't have time for the Bible somehow, would be kind of like a wife who's got all the time for all the other guys except her husband. And this this is heavy, but we need to represent the book of Hosea properly. Because there, there are, we're going to get to the compassion here. But a lot of the book of Hosea is judgment. Is God confronting his people out of love. If we forget how God confronts his people, we think, oh, God doesn't really care. He's, he's, he's indifferent about this. He cares about you so much that he takes the time to warn his people again and again. And even tells his ambassador to marry a prostitute and have women have children of promiscuity to get his point across how much he cares about his bride. And so it's the times when we, we look back, why did I abandon God at that time? It's because I forgot him. It's because I've been setting my hope on other things. And not only is it painful to think about, okay, sin isn't just breaking a rule, but sin is breaking God's heart. We shouldn't feel just bad about, oh, I I broke a rule. Ah, I'm breaking God's heart. But he has so much love for us. And then we think, oh, I've, I've, I've hurt his heart, and it grieves him to see us forget him and abandon him over and over again. And that, that, can, that can be so painful to know that we've heard him again and again. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 16, it says that God describes Israel as a trampled, withered plant that cannot produce fruit. Left with the emptiness and consequences of our sin, we're like a shriveled old flower three weeks after Valentine's Day. But God is going to replant this hopeless situation into fresh ground. He's going to redeem his adulterous wife. He will cover you with compassion. God has compassion for the promiscuous people who turn to him. God has compassion. God was compassionate from the beginning. Hosea 2, 23 says, I will sow her in the land for myself 
Remember how Jezreel says, God will sow? I will sow her in the land for myself. I will have compassion on Lo-Ruchamah. I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. God will compassionately pursue his promiscuous bride. Chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. Therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor a gate into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. She will forget about all of her adultery, all of her commitments to them. She'll have her eyes fixed on God. God will compassionately renew his vows. Hosea 2, 19 to 20, God says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, in justice, in love and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. God is speaking this to Israel, and he's speaking this to you. Quoting and commenting on Hosea, Romans chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that God does this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory on us the ones he also called. Not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. God, through the Apostle Paul, is applying this reality to the church and even to us. God has compassion for his beloved, wayward, promiscuous people. Even us, even you, in your worst of times, God has compassion for the promiscuous people who turn to him, who turn to him. How do we receive God's compassion? We turn to him. Turn to God, seeking his face, searching for him. Hosea 5.15 says, I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt. You need to come to grips with what you've done. It is sin. Don't minimize it. You have sinned against a holy God who loves you. And we sometimes sin again and again when we recognize our guilt and then seek his face. Until they recognize their guilt and seek my face, they will search for me in their distress. When you're in distress, let that be a warning signal you need to turn to God. 
Don't let distress lead you to despair and inaction. Let your distress be a warning, like a, a, a reminder, something is wrong. I need to search God. You might think maybe others around me could receive God's compassion, his forgiveness, but not me. God gave up on me. It's too late for me. It's hopeless. But that's not what God says of you. Hosea 11 verses 8 to 9. In the book of Hosea, it talks about God being like a faithful father whose son goes off and rejects him. And the father's waiting for the son to come back. Does that ring a bell? And this faithful husband whose bride leaves for other lovers and comes back. In verse 8 to 9, chapter 11 says, God says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. My compassion is stirred. I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. God has ordered judgment at times, but he says, I will have compassion on you. My compassion is stirred, and I'm going to pour it out on you. What do we do? We return to God. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let's strive to know the Lord. Come on, let's strive to know the Lord. Let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain. In Vancouver, we know that the rain comes, right? He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Let's return to the Lord. Seek his face. What do we do? We turn to God with a change of heart. Chapter 14, 1 to 3. Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all, like just pray this as you hear this. Forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses 
and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands, for the fatherless receives compassion in you. We return to God with a change of heart. We call out to him with whatever words we can find. We return to him like the son going, the son coming back to the father, going down that long road, maybe rehearsing your repentance, maybe arriving to him without words, but received with open arms. What will God do? He will have compassion. He will have compassion on you. Chapter 14, 4 to 6, God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them. For my anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. God will heal, restore, freely love. He will refresh you like the dew on morning flowers. What will God do? He will come to us with compassion. He will come. There's this testimony of Annie Lobert. Tells her devastating story. Uh, You can search her up on on uh, on the internet and it's a powerful it's it's a shocking story i just want to warn you uh you might want to watch it before you watch it if you choose to watch it with your kids um may not be appropriate for them her boyfriend said that if she slept with him this is in high school they'd get married he loved her they'd have kids together and then she found out that he did the same thing with all of her girlfriends She found out that he was lying to her, that he was cheating on her, he was promiscuous. And heartbroken, she moved to a new city, tried to create a new life for herself, and eventually became a prostitute to live this new life, to try to get a bunch of money. She thought, maybe if I have lots of things and money, and maybe I'll feel loved by these, these men. Eventually, a man came with you know, a nice Rolex. He throws out a lot of money at her, and he says, you're really intelligent, and I think I'm falling in love with you. And he offers her wealth, but then one day, he becomes her pimp and beats her severely. She managed to eventually escape, eventually. And out of her captivity, tried to wash herself clean. And she said she always tried to wash herself clean. But she felt she couldn't. She still felt filthy. She went back to prostitution for money because the money there was nothing compared to working at McDonald's or anything. And she found herself in this deep pit of despair, and she has this line of cocaine, and she, she just plans to OD 
and end her life. She snorts this line of cocaine. She, she finds herself near death, and she has this vision, like everything goes completely dark. She gets this vision of her funeral. People are crying around her saying she was just a prostitute. And then she says, she cries out. She cries out to Jesus. She says, Jesus, please save me. I don't know if you're real, but I don't want to die. And somehow the ambulance comes. She gets taken in to emergency. She comes to and the doctor says, little girl, you're lucky to be alive. You've got drugs coursing through your body. God must be with you. Thanks. God must be with you. She started reading her Bible. She started going to a church and she was surrounded with love. And she found freedom. She found renewal. She started standing on Jesus' words of how she's whole. She's made new. She's a virgin in him. It's amazing. Yeah. He's so good. She found peace. And Jesus led her to go back and to visit the brothels. To tell the girls that they are loved. No matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter how they feel, there's redemption for them. She would tell them, you'll be white as snow if you accept them into your heart. I'm just crying because it's just overwhelmingly amazing. Like, I see myself in this, you know, from the years of porn. But this, like, all the brokenness that she's experienced, it's just amazing that Jesus would take her in, speak tenderly to her, restore her. This is for us. This is for each of us. If ever you felt distant, Jesus is the compassionate bridegroom the faithful bridegroom who comes for his promiscuous bride. He pursues us, seeks us out, dies to purchase and redeem his bride. He paid the price to purchase us with his own blood on the cross. And then he washes us, makes us clean, takes away our guilt and our shame, gives us a new identity, heals us, establishes a new covenant, renews his vows to us, and he freely loves us.
this new life, this beautiful bride. Would you turn to him? Would you turn to him? As the worship team comes up right now, return to him. Turn to him. Let's turn our hearts to him. Ask him to forgive you, to take you back in. If you feel like you haven't resonated with this and you've just been faithful by his grace, give him thanks. We thank God for the seasons that we've been faithful. God, we're sorry for when we aren't faithful, but thank you that you build in us faithfulness. Your faithfulness stands true. When you feel like you've gone too far, his love stays within reach. When you regret how you've forgotten God, realize how he's remembered you. We turn in prayer. Would you stand with me? God, we, we just turn to you right now. We turn to you, our compassionate and loving God. You love your bride so deeply that you would come and pay the price for our sins. Instead of us paying for it, you paid it. You purchased us. You redeemed us. Thank you, Lord. We turn to you. We turn to you, Lord. We thank you that you forgive us. When we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, we love you. Amen.